or said, or you know someone who said or done the worst in your mind. My heart is always to redeem. So I tell you that I desire you to position yourself. Position yourself to become more like me. To become more in my image. I desire that you would reach out and see a life changed instead of punished. To see a life changed, a life redeemed instead of condemned. It is my desire that you become like me. So ask me, come after me, chase me to cause you to change the way you think, to change your perspective, to change your heart so that you will look and see the good, see what's possible, see a life redeemed for that is my heart yes I punished in my word I punished my people I judged but it was after so much long suffering I desire that you long suffer I desire that you become my image to a lost world my image and they will desire me when they see me in you so chase after me humble yourself surrender because I am a God who redeems that's my heart. That's my heart. Redemption. Redemption. I love you. I love you. I have long suffered. I have been patient. I have been working to make you into my image. Do the same. Do the same when you see others. and in this house and next Sunday we're going to be praying over her amen that's right give God a praise for her this morning and uh, we just are going to send her off with the blessings of the Lord amen awesome well I want to spend a few moments that's about all I got left now. I'm just kidding. But uh, that's okay. How many of you don't care as long as Jesus is doing something? Amen. Oh, I love this. Oh, they don't see what I see? That's pretty cool. Jesus writing in the sand. Awesome. That's what it is. Jesus writing in the sand. We're going to look at that this morning. 
but not from a viewpoint of sin and get them God and make sure they pay God and look at your neighbors say sometimes that's how I feel look at you won't even say it and you know it's true because I know it's true I've had a lot of times in my life it was get them God save them but get them but no Jesus has a whole different mindset he would right but I want to look at what we're supposed to be doing and what we can learn from Jesus writing in the sand with the women caught in adultery. Because how many of you know we've all been adulterous in our hearts at some point? We've all, so to speak, cheated on God. But one thing I'm coming to learn more and more and more is that Hashem is in control. How many of you know Hashem, God? That's Hebrew for God. Hashem is in control. You know, the more I study the Hebrew, the more I study this, I understand a little why, you know, I used to think when I studied the Holocaust and everything about it, because that was my heritage, I thought, why would six million, but it really is 12 million people, why would 12 million people just lay down and do whatever they were told, and why didn't they rise up? And there were some of them that did, but I understood because of the way they were taught, that God is always in control why they kind of didn't do a lot except go along. And if you look at the life of Jesus and you look at his road to Gethsemane, he didn't fight. He didn't say, don't touch me, get that cross off my back. I don't. He went along. It's kind of interesting. But he knew that the Father was in control. God is always in control. Now, I want you to write this down or get it stuck in your mind. When we make God's will our will, when we make God's will our will, then he makes his will our will. Then, then he makes his will our will. Once we finally said, I give. But we have to determine that we're going to make his will our will. How many of you have found your will is a little different than God's will? How many of you have found that you call on God when... Um, as long as you don't have a better idea. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just messed. I think the word is surrender. Just like we did this morning, we just surrendered. Because how many of you get tired of fighting? 
We fight God. And we fight him with the word but. But God! But God. When we get to the place where we say whatever, whatever, whatever you want from me, God, is okay. You better be careful before you just start saying that. Whatever you want from me is okay. Man, I have prayed that prayer and then just thought, what did I just pray? Because whatever means what? Whatever. And he doesn't always use ear-tickling, good, funny, fun stuff, warm, fuzzy stuff. He uses a lot of the hard things we go through. But as we look at the woman caught in adultery, I want you to focus not on everyone else in that story, but on Jesus. Focus on what Jesus did. Now let's look at John chapter 8, verse 6 to 11, and I want you to pay attention to what Jesus was doing. So they said, tempting him. See, they were just trying to corner Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine somebody trying to put God in a corner. But they didn't know he was God. Because they didn't have eyes to see. How many times do we not see him? But look at this. They were trying to tempt him so that they could accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now, mind you for a second, how many of you know she was shaking in her boots because all of them thought they were so self-righteous they might have begun stoning her? Right? But see, Jesus, when he speaks, whew, And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. How many of you ever realized in this story he wrote twice on the ground? That kind of hit me. He wrote twice on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, uh uh-oh, they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go. And sin no more. 
Wow. Every time you repent and you get up, God says, I'll condemn you. Go. Sin no more. Who condemns us? Ourselves, too. <laughs> How many of you are real hard on you? I want you to look at the clues here. Clues to how we must treat others. How we have got to be a conduit to others to share his love. So let's look at this. I've got a hundred, no, not a hundred. Four things I want to pound. Four points that I believe as God gave them to me that you'll see what Jesus did and you'll say, oh, I'm going to do that. I want to be like Jesus. First of all, I want to share with you a story from the Holocaust a bit, but more not about the Holocaust, about the after effects about how much God loves his kids, how much parents love their kids, and how he's just constantly, just like a parent, constantly thinking of how he can love. we got to be like that, thinking, okay, how can I love? Even if it hurts me, how can I love? Listen, God wants nothing more than to be close to you. God wants to just be right all in there with you. And so it's up to you to answer that call, right? We got to say, yes, Lord. And every time we get a minute throughout the day, call on the Lord, pray in the Holy Spirit, whatever. But stay tight, connected with God. So here we go. This is just a little idea of how much God loves us. Look at this. A little girl was sitting with her mom. And she looked up at her and she said, Mom, tell me the story about when I was very little again. How many of you got kids that always say, tell that story again. Tell again how this happened and that happened. So she says, well, precious, you were born in a very hard time for us. Hitler was marching across Europe to wipe out the Jews, but his armies hadn't reached us yet. She says, I was young and just blessed to have my first baby, and you were so beautiful. You had big blue eyes, a little face, and the nurses in the hospitals at that time were so nasty. They said, why do we have to bother with you Jewish brats? You're a waste of time and money, but Hitler's on his way and he'll take care of that. So after she said that to me, I cried. And another woman in the room came over and said, why should that little innocent baby die? I've never had children. Why don't you give her to me and I'll raise her? She says, I looked at that woman and said, are you, what are you saying? This is my child. We're going to raise her as a Jewish child and be proud of it. 
This isn't the first time people have tried to destroy us. She says, and I remember that that day was Purim, the day of Haman's downfall, and I was comforted. So when your father came in to see you for the first time, I said, I know what her name will be. It will be Esther Malcha. Esther. Your name had a special meaning. It meant hope and it meant faith. And it meant that Hashem is in control and we needed his help desperately. Well, Hitler's armies came in. They forced us to leave, go to a ghetto. It was terrible. And a year later, we realized if we wanted you to survive, we needed to send you away to the countryside to live with a peasant family. And we gave them all the money that we had left. When you woke up that morning, we had your clothes packed, and we told you you were going to live in a happier place where you could eat potatoes and bread and have fun and play and that one day we promised we would bring you home. And you cried. You cried as you left. And I said to you, your name is going to be Eva while you're gone, not Esther. We didn't hear from you for many, many months. But through a series of miracles, your dad and I survived. And like survivors, we tried to put our lives back together. Of course, our first focus was you. So we set out for the village that we had sent you to, and we walked 10 miles to get there. When we arrived, we saw you playing in the front yard. Our hearts leapt. It was you. Little girl, your dad yelled out, come here. You came over. You stared at us with those wide blue eyes, with your thumb in your mouth. My heart just sang. Hashem, we had found you, and you were alive, but there was no welcome, no recognition in your eyes. You had completely forgotten us. You ran into the house yelling, Ma, come! Mommy and Daddy burst out, Esther, do you not remember us? You froze. See, first chance, now a second chance. You stared at me without moving. Suddenly your face changed and you seemed to awaken from a dream. And recognition flared in your eyes and you tore away from the woman that you thought was your mom. And you came running into our arms and the feeling of holding you again was unbelievable. That is the story of how you were when you were a little girl. It's a true story. He's a God of many chances, isn't he? He loves us. He gives us opportunities to recognize him in situations. So here's Jesus. And they're just badgering her she's an adulteress we need to stone her that's the law she needs to pay now i don't know i think it's a whole nother sermon about why the men don't have to pay but we won't go there 
Amen. Because we're going to focus on Jesus. Amen. How many of you know I'm right? Amen. But here's Jesus, and he writes, he gets down. Now, I want you to notice his posture, because he could have stood up. But he gets down on the ground, and he writes in the sand. And he doesn't only write once. He gets down again, and he writes twice in the sand. Now, that whole concept of God writing with his finger comes out of Exodus, right? Because uh, in Exodus 31.18, look what it says. He gave to Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. So here we see again God writing with his finger. And Moses smashed those tablets when he came down because he saw Israel, idolatrous and adulterous, right? In Jeremiah 3.8, he calls Israel a backsliding Israel committing adultery. So that second set of tablets, see, here we go, the number two again. God, Moses goes back up the mountain, comes down with another set. God's like, okay, can we keep these intact? So we got this second set of tablets, and what really did it represent? God giving us a second chance. And the interesting thing about it is if you study the history, when Moses went up to the mountain and came down with the second set of tablets, it was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. God was really into forgiveness. We got to be really into forgiveness. <laughs> Toward ourselves, hello, and others. But I asked God, I said, what's the point here? He says, the number two, guess what two represents? Here we go, kindness. It represents equity, equalizing. It represents doing what's best, not what you want to do. Wow. How many of you know Jesus always did stuff for a purpose? See, we are called to give people another chance. We're called to give ourselves another chance because God does. Oh, but you don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know uh, the sin and the depravity and the yuck. It doesn't matter once you bring it to the foot of the cross. Please don't diminish the value of the sacrifice he made. Accept it. Say, okay, God, I forgive me. It's gone. It's erased. Well, society don't let you forget Poo-poo society. If they don't get it right, they're going to hell. 
You're not on this earth forever. This is but a vapor. Vapor. A second chance. Jesus got down twice because, listen, this is what's so awesome. He didn't have to read the minds of those accusing her. He knew those were the Pharisees. He knew that they what? They were supposedly the religious, and they knew the law. So he didn't have to pull it out and, you know, say to them, you bunch of religious bigots. You're a bunch of disgusting, double-minded. He didn't have to do all that. He just had to get down and write twice. They were getting it. They knew what the law was. They knew um, Moses got on the mountain and got two sets of tablets. They were the religious. He knew that they knew. That he knew their minds. Don't be afraid to be kind to someone in sin. But I I don't want people to think I agree with them. Don't worry about what people think. (laughs) Love them. You know, Jesus could have said, I don't really want to go over there and help her because people think I was sleeping with her. Did he care? (laughs) Did he care? No. They accused him of that too. Sleeping with the prostitutes, drinking with the alcoholics, having a party all the time. Did he care? No, as long as he knew he was doing what was right. People, you can love. You don't have to agree. You can love. You can just love. No judging. Second point. Writing in the dirt and the timing. See, the timing, those religious guys, the Pharisees, they knew it was Yom Kippur. Because when this happened, isn't it interesting? See, we don't know the history all the time, but isn't it interesting that the woman got in adultery? It was during Yom Kippur. Isn't that wild? And so here they are, and those religious, righteous Pharisees, the timing of this was so key. Because here they were going to temple, making sacrifice for their sin. Jesus was reminding them, how dare you judge her? The whole history of your people has been guilty of adultery and idolatry. How dare you? That's really what he was saying to them. He just didn't go have to go pound him on the head with it. He just stood there and stared at him like, really? Really? You're going to judge her? 
You're all guilty of the similar. Okay, so maybe your sin of adultery wasn't in the natural, but your sin of adultery is in the spirit. How many of you ever met up with somebody that doesn't have to say a word? They just have to look at you. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, for years, being in deliverance and inner healing, people would come up to me and say, I can't take it when Bishop looks at me. I said, why? He looks at me all the time. He said, because it's like he looks and he sees everything I've ever done wrong. <laughs> no. And he just giggles because he says, I don't see nothing. But how many of you get it? Because that conviction hits. And so Jesus just stood up from where he was writing in the sand, and he was looking at him like, really? You guys really want to judge? Listen to me. That's a lesson we can learn. <laughs> Number two, don't judge. How dare we judge? How dare we judge? I don't want to judge anybody. I decided several years ago, I said, God, when I judge, just slap me or something. How many of you have been getting slapped a lot? We don't even know when we're judging. You don't have to agree with sin, but you have to love. I don't agree with everything I see people do, but I'm going to love them. I'll leave the rest to God. My word, if he can't do something about them, what can I do? I'm just a human being. Don't judge. Well, they used to go to church all the time and serve God. Now they're out in the bars and they're doing all. Shut up. Love them. Love them the same way that you loved them when they weren't doing that stuff. Love them. Embrace them. Jesus said, I'll just look at them. I'll just get up from writing in the sand and look at him. Some people, some theologians have said, what was he writing? And uh, I, was, I was told once that a theologian told me that he was writing every sin that the Pharisees ever committed. And they could tell, and they were convicted. I, I don't want God <laughs> to write every sin I ever committed. Because I would prefer it just be as far as the east is from the west. Don't judge. We don't have any right. We don't have any rights. We have a right to an opinion. And oftentimes we just need to put that in our back pocket too. Because nobody really wants our opinion. Sometimes people say to me, well, you know what I think? Don't care and don't want to know. Because most of our opinions and our thoughts come out of where we come from. 
So that's all messed up too. <laughs> he wrote two times. He got down the second time and wrote, and then when he got up, he look what he said to them. Who of you here is without sin? I mean, it's just so common sense. If you think you're without sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. That would have shut me up too. How many of you hear what I'm saying? You know, I get in a bad mood and I get curt with Bishop and I'm like, oh my God, Lord, change me. I can't throw a stone at anybody. Are you getting this? Who? Who's worthy to throw a stone? Lift your hand. Who's worthy to throw the first stone, the last stone, or any stone? The only way, place you should be throwing a stone is with a sling at your Goliath. <laughs> because we can't throw stones at each other. We can't throw stones at each other. I don't agree with everything my husband does, says. I don't agree with everything my kids say or do. doesn't matter. I'm called to love, embrace them, hug them, make them know that Jesus lives in here. Are you getting this? It's a little bit like that scripture, take the beam out of your own eye first. <laughs> Some of us got whole logs in there, man. <laughs> Redwoods. <laughs> Third, why? Why did Jesus write in the dirt? That's kind of a strange thing to do to start with. I mean, again, put yourself in her shoes. Here she is. She's on the ground. She's scared for her life. She knows they're going to stone her. That's the whole, most horrible way to die. Okay? So here she is, and the best thing this guy can do is get next to me and get down and right in the dirt. Oh, my Lord, I hope this works, buddy. Are you getting this? But here he is. He gets down and writes in the dirt. Why? Again, because he knew that the leaders would understand. You got to get in your mind how sharp the Pharisees were. They weren't dumb. They weren't stupid, prideful. They were smart, intelligent, learned men. They had studied Torah, five books of the Bible. They could recite it from heart. They were brilliant in the laws. And Jesus knew that. So when he got down and wrote in the dirt, so you got to know, again, the Torah in Genesis 2, 7, 
It reminds us of where they came from. In Genesis 2, 7, it reminds them they all came from the earth. And in Romans 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned. Look at that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He was reminding them, hey guys, you're not without sin. So you're going to stand here and judge her, but you're going to walk around blameless? I don't think so. They knew. They knew that what he was saying was truth, that we all were created out of the earth and that we've all come from dirt. We all came from dust and dust we return. Can't take your BMW with you. Can't take your mansions with you. Can't take all your fancy clothes and everything with you. He reminded them. You know, if you ever have been to a, a traditional Jewish burial, my grandparents were buried in the traditional Orthodox. It's literally a little gray box. I mean, when I went to the Hebrew Memorial Chapel, which is they always get buried in little Hebrew chapels, they are just plentiful in little gray boxes. And they lay them in there and they cover them naked with a sheet. Because they believe the way you came in is the way you're going out. And they couldn't wear a ring. They couldn't have their favorite teddy bear. They couldn't have nothing but that casket, that box with a sheet over them. And that's how they go. He was reminding them, hey guys, you came from dust. What are we to learn from that? Remember where you came from. When you're loving people and dealing with people, remember where you came from. That'll kind of shake you into reality. We all need to be reminded that we're nothing without Jesus. We're nothing without Jesus. Think about who you were without Jesus before Jesus came in and changed your life. Think about who you were. Lastly, the very fact that Jesus didn't stand up to deliver his little warnings and encouragement to the Pharisees, he knelt down tells us something. Jesus got down to where she was at. Jesus got down on his knees to where she was at. He didn't look down at her and talk to her and 
whatever. He got down on his knees. He knelt down beside her. It was the religious, the religious, the religious that stood. Stoner! He's a God of redemption. He's a God of second chances, third chances, 110 chances. He got down on her level. How many of you would say, yes, God met me right where I was at? You know, all the while growing up, I loved Jesus. I didn't know nothing about him except what I was taught in catechism, but I loved Jesus. And even as I got older and I did dumb stuff in my teenage years and all that, but you know what? I was praying the one day and I said, Lord, you've always been so gentle with me because I watch sometimes and I'm like, oh God, don't do that to me. And he said something to me, very interesting. He said, because that's where you're at, Cheryl. He says, you grew up with a father that could just lift an eyebrow and you ran for the hills. And I did. My dad was this tall. <laughs> but if my dad raised an eyebrow at me and said, young lady, I was like, oh, help me, Jesus. I knew I was in trouble. And he said, I didn't have to get harsh. I didn't have to lower the boom. You did such a good job on yourself. See, God meets us right where we're at. Saints, we got to meet people right where they're at. We don't got to partake of what they're doing. I had a brother one time years ago say to me, I go to the bars and I witness and I have a drink with the guys. I said, well, that's okay, but... Ugh. I said, can't you just give the message while you're sitting in the bar talking, drinking a glass of water if you don't drink? He said, well, I don't see anything wrong with drinking. I said, well, the Bible doesn't really say there's something wrong with it, but, you know, did you get, did you get smashed while you're giving the gospel? Well, just a couple times. Oh, great. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> I think it's a better idea to give the gospel. And in his case, maybe he just needs to stay out of the bar. How many of you hear what I'm saying? It's not about the right or the wrong. It's about meet people right where they're at. Right where they're at. If they're on the ground, sit on the ground with them. If they're standing up, stand up with them. If they're sitting at a cafe in a bar, sit down. But meet them where they're at. We do it with kids. We do it with kids. When I taught school, if I had to sit in a desk next to a kid to help them out, I did. When I play with my grandbaby, I get on the floor. Well, you look stupid. I don't care. Can you get to where you don't care what you look like? Get where they're at. We can learn so much more 
from this Bible passage. Learn that even though she was guilty, look at your neighbor and say, she was guilty. Look at your neighbor on the other side and say, so was the man. Say, we're all guilty. But Jesus didn't condemn. So don't you condemn. So don't I condemn. We can learn grace, grace, grace. Give people grace. You got grace. Get on their level. Meet them where they're at. Remember where you came from. Love. 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 Forgive. All that good stuff. That's what we can learn from the woman caught in adultery. That's what we can learn from Jesus writing in the sand. We can learn how to be more like him. I want to close. I know we're a little late, but I want you to see this clip from the Grinch who stole Christmas. And the little girl that says, if you're really a who, then do what's right. If you're really a Christian, meet people where they're at. Watch this. Um, do we have it? We don't have the Grinch. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see the Grinch later then. But I'll, all right, watch this. Start it over, please. I'm sorry. Uh, watch this. Because it'll bring home the truths of everything I said this morning. You'll see it graphically. Watch this. commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? It's a trap. I'll give my stone to the first man who tells me that he has never sinned.
Halleluja. Halleluja. Amen. Let's just stand this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we want to be more like you. We opened this service today repenting of all the junk because we don't want to be Pharisees. We want to be Jesus people. So Lord, I just pray this morning that you would write this on their hearts. That we will invest in people. That we will be Jesus to people. That we will be so filled with long-suffering and love and acceptance and forgiveness that will be the gospel to people. Father, I just thank you this morning that every one of us remembers where we came from. And God, we just want to see others restored, given that second chance, given that hundredth chance. Our heart is not condemnation or punishment, but our heart is freedom. Our heart is restoration. Our heart is to just see the world come to Christ. So Lord, write these things on our hearts this morning. Write them in our minds. I bind our minds to the mind of Christ. And I crush judgmentalness. I crush criticism. I crush wanting to get even. I crush all the junk that is so not you, Lord. So Father, we surrender this morning. We surrender once again, and we will be kind. We will be loving. Do that work in us this morning, Jesus. Change us. We thank you. We give you all the glory today. In Jesus' name.